Caleb, thank you so much for being here and leading. Hadn't Caleb done a wonderful job leading us in worship this morning? If you did not know it, which most of you probably don't know this, but um, the worship service at the university, so you see our children being dismissed, by the way, too, so they're being dismissed. So if you're a child or if you're an adult and just want to skip this part, you go to children's church right now. Caleb is uh, going to be the, the worship leader at 24-7, which is the university worship experience that happens at the BSM on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock with about 150 to 200 college students there. And starting this semester, Caleb will be the new worship leader there. So we're excited about Caleb doing that too. So thanks again very much, Caleb, for being here. If you have your Bibles, if you will turn uh, to the second chapter of Timothy, the second chapter of Timothy, and we're going to look at the 15th verse in just a minute. Before we do that, let me bring you greetings from uh, Jamaica. Uh, I appreciate you so much allowing me uh, to lead a team down there and to be part of a team of 17 Holly Springers that went down to Harmons, Jamaica uh, to build two homes, uh, to lay two foundations, and to get to immerse ourselves in the culture that is Harmons, Jamaica. Uh, many of you hopefully have seen uh, some of the pictures uh, that uh, were posted by some of the students on Facebook, and I, I think I've posted one or two. Also, I'm still trying to process a lot of what happened, but it's been a great joy uh, to see them and what they've written. Uh, in fact, there was one of the girls that was with us, not from Holly Springs, but she was from Baylor University and was part of the trip. The whole team was 33 people, so we had college students from around the state, and then we had our church, and then a few students from uh, First Baptist and NAC, too, that went. And this young lady from uh, Baylor University uh, wrote an article uh, for the Baptist Standard, one of the, the state newspaper, and she did an amazing job. I put a link to it on my Facebook page. If you want to read and kind of get the heart of everybody who went, uh, she, she did an excellent job, and I would encourage you uh, to read that. Uh, I told uh, some of the group uh, that was with me that this may be the last mission trip I ever do uh, because I was uh, thoroughly humiliated. Uh, the first uh, minute we landed in Jamaica, uh, the story kind of goes like this. Uh, we land in Jamaica, and when you land in Jamaica, you land in Montego Bay, Jamaica, which is where all the tourists uh, land. There's thousands of people that are going there, obviously, to have fun and be a part of uh, the beach and all that wonderful stuff, which is great. And uh, so we go fly into Montego uh, Beach, Montego Bay, uh, because the customs there is very lax. They very seldom ever mess with you because they want the tourist money. So when they see tourists coming, they just typically wave you through. And uh, for years and years that I've been doing this mission trip, we've been waved through without many problems. Last year uh, was the first year that I've ever been stopped and asked to go through a, an extra check in customs. If they don't wave you through, they ask you to go get in these other lines where they want to inspect what you're bringing in. And because we're bringing in lots of stuff to give away, it's really not that big of a deal. But we also do pack some things sometimes that they want us to bring down there that they can't uh, get or can't get cheaply. And so. There's some weird things that we have in our luggage sometimes, as weird as uh, hammers and uh, toilet paper and uh, peanut butter and, and things like that. So there's kind of no telling what you're going to have in your suitcase. I've even one time 
the, the mission where we stay needed a big screen that hangs on the wall, one of those big screens like that that they show video projection on. And uh, so I actually carried a big screen down with me one time. When I got to the airport in Houston to check in, the, the lady didn't even know what to do with it that was checking me in at United Airlines. She said, what, do, what am I supposed to call this? And I said, I don't know. I said, it's a big screen. I need to get it down there. It's in the box and everything. And she said, well, I'm going to have to charge you a whole lot of money unless we can figure out something to charge, uh, to call it, where they don't charge you money for it. And so she had a big list of everything that you could take for free. And we were going down that list, and we were looking at it, and she was trying to help me out. And when I finally got down to track and field stuff, and they had pole vault listed there. And I said, let's call it a pole vault. And she said, it's okay with me. And she wrote pole vault, and that's how I got it onto the plane for free. When I got down there, I thought for sure they would wave me over to where they would inspect it a whole lot closer. But the lady down there said, what is this? And I said, well, it's a big screen. I'm bringing it down here for some friends of mine that run a mission. She just went, oh, okay, go ahead. And she waved me through. But the last two years have been really tough. Uh, last year, they waved us over to this other line, and this year, uh, they did the same thing. There was about 15 or 20 of us. In fact, Greg Hudson was at the front of the line, and uh, they grabbed him, and he said, well, all these other people are with me, and they said, well, all of you go over there to the other line now. So I'm not sure I'm taking Greg ever back again to the deal, because he threw us all under the bus. And so <clears throat> there was about 20 of us in this line to be inspected closely. And I won't bore you with all the details, but the line that we got into, there was about five or six lines, and the line that we got into was not moving at all, just not moving. Laura and I were at the back of the line. And uh, just to give you an understanding of how long this whole process took, we landed at 3 and we walked out to get on the bus at 5.30. We were in line for two and a half hours doing this. And so I was just sitting there and I was bored. But, you know, I, I began to talk to Laura when we were staying in line, and I, and I was just talking to Laura, and I said, you know, I want to just go up and throw a fit. But if you go up and throw a fit, they take you back in a room and strip searches, you know, so I'm not about to do that. You just stand there and go, okay, however long this takes, it takes, you know. And so anyhow, I was at the corner of my eye, and, you know, most of you are like this too, but at the corner of my eye, I saw the farthest line over there start moving. And just like when you're in Walmart at the line and you think the other line's moving faster, I thought, man, I'm going over that line. So I grabbed Laura and I said, come on. And we had carts full of luggage. Remember, you're taking all this luggage in, the stuff you want to give away. And so we had all this luggage. And so Laura and I are pushing our carts over there. And, and we've got bags after bags. And we're dragging them. We finally get over there. And sure enough, this line is moving. In fact, Greg's at the front of this other line. And we're moving. And all of a sudden, I'm at the front of this line. And Greg still hasn't moved. Yet. And so I'm going, man, I picked the right line. I did the right thing, you know. And so anyhow, the guy finally calls me up. And just so you'll understand, when you're going through customs in foreign lands and immigration and all that stuff, even when you're coming back into America, sometimes you don't know whether they want both of you, like Laura and me, both together, or they just want me up there and she needs to wait behind the line. And so Laura... He called me up, and Laura kind of came up to the desk, but didn't kind of come completely with me. So he, he grabbed me, and he started talking to me. And he said, okay, tell me what you're doing. I said, well, we're here on a mission trip. It's not illegal to be on a mission trip, so I can say that. So I said, we're here on a mission trip. And he said, well, what are you doing with all these bags? And I said, well, we all have stuff that we're going to give away to the, to the people that we're on a mission trip with. And he said, well, put one up here and let me look at it. 
So I set my backpack down over here and I put a big suitcase up here. And just so you'll know how sneaky your pastor is, I know which suitcases have some stuff in it that I might not want him to look at. So I'm grabbing the suitcases that I know are just like my underwear and stuff like that, you know. So I'm putting it up there and he says, what's in the backpack? Because he knows I set the backpack on the ground. And I went, oh, nothing. And he said, well, let me look in the backpack. And I said, okay. And I really didn't have anything in the backpack except snack candy and stuff like that. So he looked through and he went, okay. So then he opened up this suitcase and he said, this is all your underwear. And I said, yeah, I wear a lot of underwear. And, uh, and I said, yeah. And he said, okay, well, it's okay. He said, put the other one up there. So I grabbed the other one and I put it up there and he started looking through it. And he said, well, that looks okay. And he said, let me see this other one because we had lots of suitcases. So I put another one up there and you can tell he's getting tired by now. And so he's looking through, and all he's seen is underwear and socks and T-shirts and all that kind of stuff, and he sees it. And <laughs> so remember, Laura's back over here. So he looks at me straight in the eye after he's looked through three, three suitcases, and he said, is everything just like this? And I said, yes, everything that we're bringing is just like this. And then he looks at me and said, even what your daughter is bringing? <laughs> What? <laughs> what did you just say to me? <laughs> and he said, is, is the stuff your daughter has the same as what you're bringing? And I said, I, do you need to borrow my glass? I said, <laughs> and he started smiling, and he said, that is your daughter, isn't it? And I said, no, that's my wife. And he went, wow, <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that by the time I got outside and saw Lloyd, my college roommate, who's the missionary down there, you know, he, he said, man, you look really mad. And I said, I am mad. I'm not sure I'm ever coming back to this crummy country again as long as I live. <laughs> so we had a good time. And the Lord worked on my heart from that moment on to try and help me to understand that you know, have you seen Facebook lately where they're showing these pictures? You know, this is what I looked like 10 years ago, and this is what I look like now. I refuse to do that now. I'm not doing that at all. All right, I just wanted to share that with you so you could get in a good mood. It's so wonderful to see you this morning. Uh, so good to be back in this place. I love being in Jamaica, and I love when God gives us the opportunity to go on mission trips, and I hope all of you will get that opportunity, but there's nothing like being back with family and getting to worship with family and being amongst friends, so what an honor it is for me to get to stand in front of you again. We've been looking, uh, Clinton Gary launched us into a, a sermon series called Disciplines of a Disciple, and I want to continue in that. We're going to continue in that for the next few weeks as uh, the Lord allows me to share with you some of the things that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to be about. There's no doubt that Scripture teaches us uh, things that we need to be in practice about if, if we're going to call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a famous book that's been written by uh, Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. Uh, we've looked at that book, and, and it's kind of give us, uh, given us a, a jumping-off place but I want you to be very clear in, in the understanding that we don't study books on Sunday morning. We study the book. We study the Holy Bible and what the Bible teaches us. Uh, Richard Foster did a good job. There's some, a lot of the things that he's written that have been 
uh, a blessing to me over my years as after I've read that to help me practice some of the disciplines that are very clearly outlined in the scripture of things that we're supposed to do. But there's a lot of other books that I've written, uh, read too uh, that have helped me, uh, just like I hope have helped you. In fact, in just a moment, as we talked about some of the studies uh, that you should be involved in or some of the disciplines that you should be involved in, the one that we'll look at this morning being study, it's important for you to understand that you need to involve yourself in reading other literature besides the Bible, but the Bible is always your home base. It's always where you come to. It's where you stand firmly on. Uh, obviously, you understand that I believe that the Scripture teaches us that we're supposed to be involved in these disciplines. Uh, Gary shared with you about the discipline of meditation and how we should uh, meditate on God's Word. It's very clear in Scripture that it teaches us to med meditate upon His Word and to hide it in our heart. Uh, uh, last week, um, Clint shared with you about prayer and fasting. I know that's a very difficult one. None of us have much trouble uh, praying, uh, sometimes, especially when we're desperate. But fasting is, is a whole, uh, whole totally different thing. I remember in seminary, our friends always talked about that. We always fast. We fast every day. We fast from about 10 o'clock at night till about 7 o'clock in the morning, and then we start eating again. And that's what a lot of us believe fasting is. In fact, a, a lot of people... We talked about uh, last week when we were in Jamaica uh, about fasting because we knew Clint was uh, preaching on it, and I was talking to several students down there, and the confusion that comes along with fasting is that most of us equate it with dieting or trying to lose weight, when fasting is supposed to be where you set yourself aside and, and uh, don't look into anything uh, that you would normally do so that you can focus your energy on what God's trying to teach you. And so fasting is uh, staying away from food, but it's, it's learning to stay away from almost everything so that you can focus your energy on what God's trying to share with you and what he's trying to teach you. It's a very difficult uh, discipline uh, to practice. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the things, and I don't know if Clint taught you uh, last week, I'm sure he probably mentioned it, but one of the things that people do when they fast, typically, and including me too, is they want to brag about it. And that's totally against what Scripture teaches. Uh, scripture teaches that when you fast, you're supposed to do it so that nobody would even know that you're doing it. Uh, so that it's, it's not, you don't make a big deal about it. Uh, Laura does the practice of fasting uh, sometimes. And uh, when, when she does it, uh, she never tells me about it. And a lot of times, you know, I'll be saying, I'll say something like, do you want to go grab lunch? And she'll go, oh, not today. And I'll get mad. You go, why not? Why wouldn't you want to go eat lunch with me today? And then she'll go, oh, you know, and I'll go, oh, never mind. I know what you're doing. So that's, that's the understanding of the principle of fasting. This morning I want to talk with you about the, the principle of study, the discipline of study. Um, in, in 2 Timothy 1.7, where uh, the Lord kind of launches out on the understanding of some of these disciplines. Uh, Timothy said, talks about how we're not supposed to, as believers, have a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And, and if we're supposed to have self-discipline in our life, the question then becomes, what are we being disciplined about in our lives? And it's, it's fascinating to me, and you understand this, how many uh, times we practice uh, discipline in our life. Um, we practice it when we drive. We we practice it. Uh, we try to practice it when we eat. Uh, we try to practice it when we're in college about our study. We practice it at work. 
you know, we practice getting up in morning in time to get to work. Uh, we practice it in self-care. A lot of you are very faithful, especially around this time of year, uh, to try and eat better, uh, to live better. Laura and I got out yesterday and, and walked a couple of miles in our neighborhood uh, because we want to be disciplined with, with our bodies and, you know, try to extend our healthiness. Uh, well, that's what the Lord is teaching us here. In fact, if you look at 2 Timothy, the second chapter, uh, the 15th verse, you'll see Timothy talk about how we are, as believers, supposed to present ourselves to God. In fact, if you look back at verse 14, he says, Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who's, who listen. So Timothy is is helping them to understand the, the, the uh, discipline of infighting does no good. Uh, if you quarrel and, uh, amongst yourself, as we as believers quarrel amongst ourselves, uh, Timothy says, well, it's just really words. You're not doing anybody any good. It's not helping the church at all. And then he says this to the church, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Well, how do you correctly handle the word of truth without studying it? In Romans 12, chapter, uh, 12th chapter, the second verse, that's where Paul launches out. In fact, you can turn there. You're going to need your Bibles maybe more than sometimes uh, usual. Uh, today I'm going to flip back and forth to several different passages this morning. But most of you are familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. And then he launches into do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and prove what is acceptable God to God and what His will is, uh, His good, pleasing, and perfect will for you. I have students all the time who come up to me and say, it's really hard for me uh, to determine what God's will is for my life because they're in that age frame of you know, 17 to 23 and 24 and supposedly in that stage of life where they're su supposed to be trying to find out what God wants them to do for the rest of their life. And they say, I don't know how to figure out God's will for what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to marry, and all those kinds of things. And I always turn them to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Have you presented your body as a living sacrifice? Have you given your mind over to him? Have you let him transform you so that you would understand and know what his perfect will is for your life? Well, that's a call on all of us, not just students. It's, it's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're all supposed to be renewing our minds, and we do that through partially through studying God's Word and beginning to discern uh, what His Word teaches us to do. Uh, again, it's always uh, interesting to me that so many people are trying to figure out, uh, you know, what God wants for them, what God wants them to do, and yet they don't study Scripture because Scripture will begin to box in things for you in the understanding of a, what you're supposed to do in your life. Uh, in the last 30 to 40 years, there's been an interesting transformation to where uh, even believers uh, have kind of gone real lax on the understanding that uh, 
se uh, about sexual immorality, especially for those who are uh, beginning to prepare to get married and to think it's okay to live together or it's okay to have sexual relations before marriage, when if you read Scripture, that's that it's taught to us that that's not true, that the best thing that you can do as you prepare uh, in, in your dating life and prepare to, to get married is to save sexual relations for when you meet the person that you're going to marry and then until you are married, save those sexual relations. But the last 30 to 40 years, that's just been kind of scrubbed by our society. And when society begins to scrub things, then if the church does not stand firm, we begin to scrub those things too. Um, we scrub it in all kinds of areas, uh, not just sexual relations, but all kinds of areas. And the church, if we don't stand firm and we don't study the Word and know what the Word teaches, we begin uh, to vacillate on, on those same principles. Isn't it fascinating uh, that Tim Tebow uh, uh, is 31 years old, and from all I understand, from what he professes, he's never had sexual relations with anybody. And now he's engaged. Guess who he's engaged to? The Miss Universe, former Miss Universe. So that teaches you that it can be done. The fascinating thing about our society is they make a big deal about that. Isn't that heartbreaking? That they would say, oh, Tim Tebow, the virgin. Oh, my gosh, it's crazy. No, it's not crazy. It's what's taught in Scripture. And as we practice the discipline of studying God's Word, then we begin to understand the things that God has for us and the way He wants us to live our lives. Listen, in the Old Testament, it was told to the Israelites to write the laws on the gates and the doorposts and bind them to their wrist, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Uh, I think uh, Mark and Jason were able to get me a picture. I don't know if you can, guys can put that picture up there now, but I want to show you this. Isn't that amazing? It's, a, it's almost, there it is. This, this is an Orthodox Jewish man. And what you see him doing is practicing what the Old Testament taught, which is to wrap the Word of God on your heart and on your person and even put it as a frontlet between your eyes. I don't know if you can tell by the, by the picture, but what he's doing in the arm is he's binding God's Word. And then in, when you look at his forehead, if you'll notice right above his forehead, forehead, he has a little box. And in that little box is a scroll of uh, Old Testament. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a, what he has in there is the Torah. Uh, and then he, he has certain scriptures, one of them being uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. In, in Jewish uh, law in Jewish understanding it's called the Shema and what it says is what you're very familiar with if you've been in uh, a walk with the Lord for very long it says this it says hear O Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength these commandments that I give you today to be upon your hearts impress them upon your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Listen to this. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. This little box is called a phylactery in, in Jewish understanding. And uh, when we have the opportunity to go to the Holy Lands, uh, we, you will see people who are flying on the plane when it comes to the, a certain time of the day, which they choose to pray. Most of them choose to pray this early in the morning. But when, when we're flying, uh, they will take these uh, leather bands and they will bind the Word of God on their arms. And then they will take it and take that phylactery and they will bind it on their forehead uh, as a frontlet between their eyes. And it's, uh, it's the Torah, it's the law, and it's also the Shema. Uh, and they, you will see them. Uh, Laura can vouch for this. And some of you may have seen Orthodox Jews doing this too. But they'll, what they'll do is typically they'll walk to the back of the plane where they're allowed to congregate and they'll start rocking like this. And they'll start saying in, in Hebrew, they'll start saying, Hear, O Lord, the Lord thy God, he is one God. And they'll start practicing. And what they're doing uh, is, is heartbreaking in some terms because they're living in the Old Testament. They're living under the law instead of under the blood of Jesus and what he did for us. But in some ways, it's incredible because what they have taken to heart is the importance of memorizing and studying God's word and speaking to God on a regular basis. So you have that, that mixed bag. Now here's, here's what I, I love about our God that we worship and, and the fact that the, the Bible doesn't end in the Old Testament, uh, but it's just the beginning, and then he comes to the New Testament. You see, the, the New Testament takes the laws from the Old Testament, and by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it replaces that. So instead of having uh, to, to put it on your forehead, you put it in your heart. That's what the New Testament says to us. That's what the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ allows for us. It allows you to, to put the words of Christ and the words of Scripture in your heart. You don't have to put them in a box. You can put them in your heart. And you can be, begin to memorize them and learn them and apply them to your life. Now, what Gary shared with you about meditation a couple of weeks ago is, is uh, it's wonderful, but it, it's devotional. Uh, you should meditate on the word of Jesus Christ. But meditation is devotional, whereas study is analytical. Meditation is you getting up in the morning and reading um, uh, a little devotional from Warren Wearsby or uh, 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 some devotional guide that you have uh, that would, would guide you from maybe one little scripture and, and then give you a, a little story. Where study is you're going to get this book and you're going to get it out and you're going to look at it and you, you're going to read it and, and you're going to talk through it and, you, and you're going to get some other books along with it. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I, I want you to, to understand the difference between what meditation is and, and what study is. Meditation is, the, is that feel good uh, that people post on Facebook. I, I read one this morning. I loved what it said. 
It said, sometimes uh, when you're buried, you're just planted, and God's getting ready to grow you. Well, I, I like that. I, I like what that says, and there's a scripture that applies to it, the, the understanding that sometimes when you feel like you're just completely uh, overwhelmed and, and you're underneath all this pressure that's coming down on your life, what, what may be happening is it's God's just planting you and, and he's getting ready to grow you into something great. But y'all, that's, that's a devotional comment. That's, that's a, a devotional thought for the day. It's not studying God's Word. Uh, that's why I love you know, the fact that we, we offer opportunities for our ladies to do Bible studies on Tuesday mornings, Tuesday nights. There's uh, the advantage for you to do that. That's why connect groups are important. You know, People say, well, you know, I, I don't want to get up that early to go to connect group. I'll come worship, but you know, connect group's tough. I know connect group's tough. I know connect group's tough to plug into. I, I know it's tough to come. But connect group is you studying God's Word. And it's not the replacement for you studying God's Word. So you should be at connect group. You should be at worship. If you have the opportunity to come to a Tuesday Bible study with women or another option with men or another couple's option for you to study Scripture, take advantage of those. But it does not take the place. It should be added on. You should be doing it because you need multiple points of place where you can get in and study, but it does not uh, stop the fact that you should be sitting down sometime in the morning or sometime in the evening, and you should be looking at this word and seeing what God's trying to teach you. There's verbal and nonverbal study that takes place in our life. Let me kind of define that, define that for you. Verbal would be books and lectures, uh, and nonverbal would be events uh, and actions. Okay, so, so what, what does that mean? So verbal is, is what's happening right now. Uh, you're studying the Word. Hopefully you're looking at it, and we're studying some passages, and you're looking at it. And so this morning I had the great privilege of verbally helping you to study God's Word and for us to worship together. You had the same thing in Connect Group if you took advantage of that, which, like I said a minute ago, I hope you would all do, is that you would come and take advantage of what Connect Groups have to offer. You have that same uh, option on Tuesday nights where you can come and verbally be taught the Word of God. That's the same thing that's happening when you're, you're studying yourself, too. You're, you're verbally looking at something and you're reading it. Even by yourself, when you look at this, you're performing a, a verbal study of the Word of God. Well, nonverbal would be uh, kind of like when we went to Jamaica uh, this past week on mission trip, and, and God began to teach us things by the actions that we were performing. Uh, a great example of this, and I, I may mention him later, but uh, in, in Jamaica, people have pet, pet what they call pet names. Uh, you and I would call them nicknames, like most of you know uh, that my given name is Robert, but my nickname is Bobby. That's what my parents called me from the minute I was growing up, and, and that's all I've really ever known. And when somebody calls me on the phone and says, uh, can I speak to Robert? I know it's either a salesman or something not good. Uh, I know it's not a friend because all my friends call me uh, Bobby. Uh, in, in Jamaica, there's a, a young man down there. His name is Big Man, and, and Big Man's a believer 
in, in the Word. And in fact, the, uh, one by one has hired him as kind of the uh, uh, chaplain of one by one. He, he just kind of uh, leads in the spiritual help. Uh, he's got a fascinating story uh, that I'll, I'll share with you at the end, but just so you will know for right now, he, he just became a believer about four years ago. Uh, well, big man um, is one of those guys who studies the Word of God. How do I know he studies the Word of God? Because we have had conversations. Uh, we were out on a foundation, and we were doing some stuff, and all of a sudden he started quoting, quoting Scripture. And uh, he was quoting it left and quoting it right, and when we would mention something, he would pull up another Scripture over here. When I would say something, he would go grab another Scripture over there. And before long, your pastor was feeling about this small because he was just quoting them just like nobody's business. And I was going, whoa, how is he doing that? How is he pulling off? Well, me, I'm observing this, and I'm beginning to look at myself and saying, where am I missing? Why, why am I not achieving like he's doing? And I think I'm the only one that's doing it. But truth be told, all the people that are around me have all said the same thing to me at least once or twice since that encounter with big man. They've all said the same thing. You know what they said? They said, that man knows his scripture. Well, what's happening here? What's happening here is big man in, in really in nonverbal fashion because he wasn't saying to us, hey, you need to do like I'm doing or you need to study like I'm studying, but he was saying in nonverbal ways to us, you uh, can learn scripture. It's possible. I'm, you know, a, a non-educated, not like you, uh, Jamaican man who just became a believer four years ago, and if I can do it, you can do it. If you look through Scripture, uh, almost every story that you read, almost everything that happens, especially in the New Testament, has some form of verbal and nonverbal uh, understanding to it. Uh, think about when Jesus was feeding the 5,000. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, uh, the disciples came to him and, and said to him, Hey, everybody's hungry. I know you want to share with everybody here, but everybody's hungry. Probably not a good time to try and help them understand what the gospel uh, that you want them to understand is about. So let's just dismiss everybody and let them go home. And Jesus said, No, let's feed them. And, you know, the, this understanding from the story in the scripture is that the disciples looked at Jesus and basically, in some form or fashion, said to him, are you kidding me? There's 5,000 people here. At least 5,000 people. Uh, all understanding is that that count probably didn't include wives and children and everybody else. So very easily could have been thousands upon thousands above 5,000. And Jesus said, let's, let's feed them. And well, the disciples, boom, you know, go, hello. We only have five loaves and two fishes. It ain't happening. We're not going to be able to do this today. And Jesus says, bring them to me. And so they go and they get the five loaves and the two fishes. And they bring them to Jesus. And Jesus says, let's pray over this. Well, one of the disciplines, let's spend some time in prayer. And let's talk about uh, what God can do with what little we think we have. So they pray. And they begin to distribute five loaves and two fishes. 
And when they get finished, there's baskets of food left over. So what's been going on here? Well, verbally, the Lord has been teaching the disciples. He's been saying to them, hey, when you just have a little, I can do a lot with it. And he's been saying, hey, if you will turn to me and allow me to control things in your life, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you ever dreamed was possible. So the disciples, they're verbally studying God. And they're seeing what's going on. But have you ever thought about the 5,000? The 5,000 know what's going on. They're all hungry, and they know there's no food, and there's no McDonald's around the corner, and there's no pizza delivery. There's nothing else. And they see what little bit of food has been done, and the disciples are all talking over here, and they're talking with the master teacher, and all of a sudden food begins to be distributed. No time, not enough time to cook, not enough time to go round up a whole bunch of food anywhere. No time has elapsed, and all of a sudden, everybody's being fed. They're not hearing what's going on, but they're seeing what's going on. And as they see what's going on, they're beginning to think, surely this man is the Son of God. Well, that's studying God. And it happens a lot of different ways. Sometimes it happens verbally and sometimes it happens non-verbally. But you've always got to be on the lookout as you study God. Now let me, I'm, trust me, I know the time. I know it's late and I had not even gotten to a point yet. I've got three points I want to share with you, but we're going to fly through these. So tie your seatbelt on, here we go. Here's three things that are going to help you in the discipline of studying God's Word. The first thing is this, you need, this, you need to put in the practice of observation. Observe the passage that you've chosen to study. Whatever passage that you've chosen to study, if it's Psalm 23, Psalm 19, if it's uh, John 3, uh, pick something out. Please, if you, this is your first time to study God's Word, don't go to Leviticus and start studying God's Word. You will just be overwhelmed and bored to tears, and I don't want you to do that. So find you a passage that makes sense to you, and, and look at that passage and begin to observe here, here's some things that you, just some simple things. I know these are simple things, but I want to go back to the very basics here. Observe if words are repeated or emphasized. For instance, do you know 1 Corinthians 13? Most of you would say, well, I, I know, I've heard of 1 Corinthians 13. And some of you would even be able to say, well, 1 Corinthians 13, isn't that the love chapter? And the answer is yes. And you know why? Because you've observed and you've heard verbally and non-verbally 1 Corinthians 13, maybe you've heard it read a bunch of times in weddings, or maybe you've heard it preached over a bunch of times. But did you know that in 1 Corinthians 13, when you begin to read that passage, that love is used 19, uh, sorry, nine times in 13 verses? So what God is trying to teach you and what God's trying to teach me there is that love's a pretty important thing. And that's a, that's a simple understanding, but it's something that you and I need to, to, to be about when we're studying God's Word. Is it emphasized? Do you remember, not long after I became your pastor, I, I preached a sermon series called But God. And, and the reason I got fascinated by that is because of the emphasis that God puts on those words. It's, a, it's kind of a, a comparison and contrast that I really love. You look at the con context of that. 
Uh, in Ephesians 2, it talks about that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were destined for hell, but God, in His infinite mercy, chose to show His grace to us and save us. Do you see that? Do you see that comparison and that, that con contrast? Do you see the emphasis of what going, is going on there? The emphasis is partially on the fact that we are dead in our transgressions. And it's really important for all of us to understand that if we're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then we are dead in our transgressions. The scripture says that we have a sentence that's been given to us. And that sentence is because of our great sin, we are sentenced to eternal damnation separated from God. But God, that incredible emphasis, that incredible contrast, that incredible two words that say, but God, because of His great love for us, because of His great mercy for us, changes our whole course, our whole direction, if we will just sacrifice and say to Him, we realize that we are sinners in need of a great Savior. And when we say that to Him, He changes our eternal destiny forever. Amen. Amen. Man, that's, that's the great news. And that's what you look for when you study. You look for those kinds of clues. Words used a lot are, are contrasts that are happening. That's what you're looking for. When you study, you've got to practice. This is the second thing. When you study, you've got to practice the art of interpretation. I know that many of you are going, whoa, I don't want to interpret the Scripture. But other people have helped you do that. They've helped me do that. The key is you've got to be about understanding the best way to interpret Scripture. I love this. Write this down. We, we, we don't have time to go there. But in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, if you'll read that, do you know what Peter says? Peter's talking about Paul there. And he says, Paul has given us uh, some study of the gospel, and he's helped us to understand the gospel. And you know what Peter says? But it's still difficult, and I still don't understand it all. <laughs> well, that makes me feel a whole lot better about it. You know, if Peter can't figure it out, we're not going to be able to figure it out all the time too. But what you do need to understand, especially if you're right there in 2 Timothy, is turn over to uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correctness, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me help you to understand hear a little bit about the interpretation of this and, and things you need to be careful about. Uh, the, the interpretation here is that all Scripture is inspired. It's from God. Do I believe that? Absolutely I believe that because it says so in the Scripture. And what that promises me is exactly what I was taught in seminary by godly men and exactly what commentaries uh, that follow the heart of God will teach you too. And that's that every word that's written in this book uh, from the very beginning flap to the maps in the back is inspired word of God. You don't take any word in here. You can't look at any passage and go, oh, I don't know that that's really what God meant. I, 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 I promise you that I have heard before that people have taught the story 
the great biblical story of Jonah and the big fish as just kind of a fiction story that it's no big deal whether it really happened or not. God was just trying to get across the point. That's baloney. It happened, and God was trying to get across the point, and the way he did it was he swallowed up Jonah in a big fish and spit him out on the shore, and that's gospel truth, and nobody can take that away. I've heard people tell the story about Moses coming to part the Red Sea and saying, well, the Red Sea where Moses parted it was just little bitty part, and he just kind of stepped through it and parted it. Or it was just fictional. It wasn't that big of a deal, and it didn't matter whether Moses really parted the Red Sea. It's baloney. He parted the Red Sea. And if you read the scripture, it says that everybody who followed in uh, that was trying to chase after Moses was swallowed up and killed. All of Pharaoh's men. Well, that's scripture. That's truth. But let me help you to see something else too. The problem is that somebody wants to stand on that truth and then they forget what that truth is supposed to teach. And what that truth is supposed to teach is that every man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's what I mean. There's lots of people, lots of people who will take a stand on God's word and say, this is God's word, this is the truth that it teaches. But when it comes time to putting that truth into action, they'll walk over here and go, well, I ain't got time to put it in action. I don't have time to go, you know, do the mission stuff you're talking about. Or I don't have time to lead a connect group or, you know, I, I don't have time in the morning to study God's word or I don't have time in prayer. But if you're going to believe that this is the inspired word of God, that that's the word that he wrote, then you better walk over here and understand that what it says at the end of that passage is that you are supposed to be about doing good works because that's the truth. That's what God calls us to do. That's interpreting the scripture. And trust me, people interpret it incorrectly all the day long. And, and that's where you have to always choose where are you getting uh, fed from. That's why it's important that you feed yourself because you want to interpret it correctly. Find good commentaries. Uh, find good dictionaries. Uh, find good, you know, you, sometimes you may wonder, well, how does he know what the Greek word is? Oh, yeah, he went to seminary and he took two years of Greek. No, I didn't. I have no idea of anything about Greek except the books that I have and the, and the help that I get from online stuff. You can do that too. Uh, it, it's, it's possible. It, it's possible for you to do it too. But always, always guard who's pouring into your heart and that they're teaching the truth. That's why you will hear me stand in front of you and say on multiple occasions how heartbreaking it is that people will stand in front and hold the Bible up and tell you that Jesus has every desire for you to be rich and wealthy and famous. And that's baloney. And I'll say it a thousand times until God calls me home. That's not the interpretation of Scripture. That's not what Christ teaches. If he did, why did all his disciples suffer uh, so greatly? to serve him. Most of those guys that are teaching that kind of stuff aren't suffering at all. They're just trying to choose what private jet they're going to get on to fly the next day. Holy cow. I'm in all kinds of trouble. 
The last thing is this, when you study practice application, that's where everybody wants to go to. You think about it. When you read the scripture, you read it and you go, oh, how does this apply to me? Because you want to go right there because that's what you want. You want to find out how does this apply to me and how can it change my life? But what the Lord teaches us is to study it and to observe it and and to interpret it and then see how it applies to your life. So my question to you is, are are you determined to hear what God's saying to you and not what you want Him to be saying? Think about that. Are, Are you determined to read this Word and try and figure out what He's saying to you, not what you want Him to be saying to you? Oh God, I was reading your Word the other day and I'm convinced you want me to get new cars and new homes and date this person and marry this person. When's the last time you ever read the scripture and thought to yourself, oh God, you're trying to get me to give up everything? None of us do that. It says it in here. But none of us, in fact, it's kind of hilarious. But, you know, all of us, when we go to read that passage, when it says to give up everything to walk with Christ, we'll dance around that all the day long. Well, you don't mean this. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to help me to realize that sacrificing for you is very important. And yes, that's what it's saying. I get that. I, I live in a very nice house and drive a very nice car. I get it. He's not trying to give you to give up everything. But what he is trying to do is get you to get the mindset that you would be willing to give up everything to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is, do you and I do that? I wrote it down here. Are you looking for life-transforming truth, not just a feel-good moment? You know, I, I think about that all the time. You know when I think about it? I think about it when I tell you that kind of my life passes is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to do you harm, but plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. It bugs me sometimes uh, that that's kind of the the scripture that I've launched out on and the scripture that I've kind of claimed because it's all about hope and future and no harm. Nobody, think about it, nobody ever chooses the scripture, I'm going to pick up my cross daily and follow you. I don't know. I I mean, I'm preaching to myself here. It's, it's It's a struggle because what what. What we should be doing when we're studying is looking for life-transforming truth, not just a moment where we kind of feel good about ourselves. Then the last thing is just how can you put what you study into practice in your life? Trust me, I know I've gone long. Um, That's what happens when I miss a couple of weeks. I just save it up and store it up. Listen, the the big man that I was talking to you about a minute ago that memorized the scripture and his incredible heart for the kingdom. Uh, Back when Laura and I started going to Jamaica in 2007, uh, it wasn't long after that that we met big man for the first time. Probably about 2011, 2000, uh, maybe 10, something along those lines. Anyhow, Big Man was one of the house crew people. He was working on the house. uh, And we were coming in trying to help and just help the best way we can with the Jamaicans. Do you know that Big Man wasn't a believer? For four years he worked on that house crew and he saw 
people like us come in and just try to serve the Lord, try to work with the Lord, talk to him about what it meant to be a believer. He really wasn't interested. Didn't want anything to do with the gospel. But after four years of working on that house crew and seeing people come and live their lives out for Christ, big man went up to somebody one day and said, who is this Jesus that everybody keeps talking about? Because it wasn't the Jesus that he had heard about all his life growing up. And on that day, Jesus, uh, big man gave his heart to Christ and asked for forgiveness of sins. In the four years, that's four years ago, in the four years since that happened, Jesus has totally transformed his life. He's not the same anymore. Uh, he, he barely could read. Now he reads. Do you know how he taught himself how to read? He picked up this Bible and he started reading it. And instead of just reading it, he began to learn it, memorize it, put it into his heart because he knew the difference that he was making in his life. So that today, when I go there and I take students with me and they listen to Big Man and he starts quoting scriptures, everybody goes, who is this man that knows all these scriptures? And he says, well, I'm the man that came to Jesus four years ago. And four years ago, Jesus changed my life. And because he changed my life, I'm going to put this word in my heart. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. I want a life-transforming moment because we study God's word and put it into our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for your love for us, your great mercy. Father, for the ability to be able to study Scripture, we give thanks. Father, for the fact that we take it so lightly, we just apologize. God, we ask that you would begin to transform our hearts, that you would make us the kind of people who want to study your Word, who want to hide it in our heart. God, we are so thankful for your great love and your great mercy. And now, Father, as we enter into a moment where we can... Uh, just talk to you about what you have taught us this morning through worship. We ask that you would open our hearts to be receptive. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.